Disclaimer. South Park is the property of Trey Parker and Matt Stone. All opinions voiced are our own and not theirs. The following program contains educational course language and due to its hilariously inappropriate content should not be listened to by anyone. and welcome to episode 11. My name is Sophie. And I'm Amanda. We've already tackled some mecha topics and we're excited to bring you more. This South Park podcast is like nothing you've heard as it dives into the complex social constructs and issues that South Park plays off of. We hope you leave today thinking, I learned something today and had a chuckle. Today's South Park episode is season one, episode 12, Mecha Streisand. Fun fact, Rochambeau is actually rock, paper, scissors. It does not involve kicking anyone in the balls. This episode touches on Japanese kaiju films. So to recap this episode, Barbara Streisand obtains the Diamond of Pentheos from Stan, Cartman, Kyle, and Kenny and transforms into a giant mechanical dinosaur named Mecha Streisand. She battles the cure frontman, Robert Smith, who himself transforms into a giant moth monster. All right, so this is a really interesting time to be discussing a topic such as this because Godzilla vs. Kong was just released in movie theaters. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I don't even know if people are going to the theaters to see it. Like, oh, That's true. I guess you can. Yeah, it's hard right now. Mm-hmm. COVID. COVID. Mm-hmm. So this episode parodies many Japanese kaiju films from Japan, embodying their fantasy aspects, human incorporation, especially that of children, and unique style. Parker and Stone watched many Godzilla films during their childhoods, and Parker said he knew from the beginning of South Park that he would base an episode around the films. So what is kaiju? Kaiju translates into strange beast, although kaiju often refers to giant monsters. The 1954 film Godzilla is commonly regarded as the first kaiju film. Kaiju characters are often somewhat metaphorical in nature. Godzilla, for example, serves as a metaphor for nuclear weapons, reflecting the fears of post-war Japan following the atomic bombs of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the Lucky Dragon 5 incident. So what we're going to do this episode is we're going to talk popular kaiju films. We're going to talk about Godzilla, Mothra, Gamera, and Ultraman, who were brought up in the episode. Okay guys, let's talk Godzilla. I am not going to attempt to do the Japanese pronunciation. I'm going to do Godzilla. So Godzilla was created by Toho and is one of the most recognized symbols of Japanese popular culture worldwide and remains an important facet of Japanese films, embodying the kaiju subset of the tokusatsu genre. Tokusatsu is a Japanese term for live action film or television drama that makes heavy use of special effects. Within the context of the Japanese films, Godzilla's exact origins vary but it is generally depicted of an enormous, violent, prehistoric sea monster awakening and empowered by nuclear radiation. Although the special details of Godzilla's appearance have varied slightly over the years, the overall impression has remained consistent. Inspired by the fictional Redosaurus created by animator Ray Harryhausen for the film The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, Godzilla's character design was conceived as that of an amphibious reptilian monster based around the loose concept of a dinosaur with an erect standing posture, scaly skin, an anthropomorphic torso with muscular arms, lobbed bony plates along its back and tail, and a furrowing brow. 
Art director Akira Watanabe combined attributes of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, an Iguanodon, a Stegosaurus, and an alligator to form a sort of blended chimera. To emphasize the monster's relationship with the atomic bomb, its skin texture was inspired by the keloid scars seen on survivors of Hiroshima. Godzilla's allegiance and motivations have changed from film to film to suit the needs of the story. Although Godzilla does not like humans, it will fight alongside humanity against a common threat. However, it makes no special effort to protect human life or property and will turn against the human allies on a whim. It is not motivated to attack by predatory instinct, it does not eat people, and instead sustains itself on nuclear radiation and an omnivorous diet. When inquired if Godzilla was good or bad, producer Shogo Tomiyama likened it to Shinto, god of destruction, which lacks moral agency and cannot be held to a human standard of good or evil. Quote, he totally destroys everything and then there is rebirth. Something new and fresh can begin. Unquote. Godzilla's vague humanoid appearance and strained lumbering movements endeared it to Japanese audiences, who could relate to Godzilla as a sympathetic character, despite its wrathful nature. Audiences respond positively to the character because it acts out of rage and self-preservation and shows where science and technology can go wrong, as they have experienced firsthand. So on to Mothra. Mothra is typically portrayed as a colossal sentient larva, or imagigo, which is basically the final and fully developed adult stage of an insect, accompanied by two miniature female humanoids speaking on her behalf. Unlike other Toho monsters, Mothra is a largely heroic character, having been variously portrayed as a protector of her own island culture, the Earth, and Japan. Mothra's design is influenced by silkworms, their imagigos, and those of giant silk moths. The character is often depicted hatching offspring, in some cases twins, when approaching death, a nod to the Samsara doctrine of numerous Indian religions. Samsara is a Sanskrit or Pali word that means world. It's also the concept of rebirth and psychicality of all life, matter, existence, a fundamental belief of most Indian religions. In short, it is the cycle of death and rebirth. Mothra is usually accompanied by tiny twin female fairies, which Sinchi Sekizawa, the creator, termed Shobijin, meaning little beauties. The original draft from Mothra called for four fairies, though the creator reduced the number to two as twins were comparatively rare in Japan, thus adding to the character's mystique. So we've been talking about Toho, the, the Toho Company monsters. We're now going to flip into Gamera, and Gamera was created as property of the production company Tai-A Film, which was intended to compete with the Godzilla film series. Gamera has actually been described as being a ripoff of Godzilla. Gamera is depicted as a massive, fire-breathing prehistoric monster resembling a turtle, mutated by exposure to nuclear weapons. Gamera's turtle-like design may have been inspired by the black tortoise, one of the four symbols of the Chinese constellations in East Asian mythology. The black tortoise is known as Genbu in Japanese, and is usually depicted as a turtle intertwined together with a snake. Each of the four symbols are said to act as guardians over each of the four cardinal directions. For the dragon Seiju in the east, the tiger Bakeo in the west, the bird Suzaku in the south, and the tortoise Genbu in the north. 
In the first film, Gamera is portrayed as aggressive and destructive, though he also saves the life of a young Japanese boy. As the film series progressed, Gamera took on a more benevolent role, becoming a protector of humanity and especially of human children from extraterrestrial races and other giant monsters. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit about Ultraman. So the Ultraman are technologically advanced citizens who were originally identical to humans. They've evolved into their current state of being following the activation of a plasma spark, which replaced their dead son. Ultraman and his kin are usually red and silver and have glowing yellow almond-shaped dome eyes and various abilities, most notably firing energy beams from their crossed hands and flight. They share a strong cultural sense of justice and duty. They kind of remind us of Power Rangers. Yeah, because you remember in Power Rangers where, okay, you've got all the colored Power Rangers, but then it would also always be a giant monster was mm-hmm. what they were fighting. Oh, yeah. And there was always that, like, movements with their hands and, like, bringing them together. And, like, yeah. And all about <laughs> justice and duty. <laughs> So I feel like in the episode, Kyle's mom goes up to Mega Streisand and she's like, Bob Streisand, I love your work. Can I get an autograph? And I think that would be me. But of course, in this episode, she is made to be the monster of the episode. I guess her and Parker and Stone had a bit of a disagreement. And so they decided to kind of make her a villain. But we actually looked into some of the great things that Barbara Streisand has actually done. Yeah, so to talk a little bit about Barbara Streisand and the philanthropy work that she's done, because even though she's portrayed as a bit of a villain in the episode, she is a real human being who has done some pretty amazing things for her community and across the world. So in 1984, Streisand donated to Emmanuel... Okay, yeah, sorry, she donated a building. <laughs> so in 1984, Streisand donated the Emanuel Streisand Building for Jewish Studies to the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in the Mount Scopus campus in memory of her father, an educator and scholar who died when she was quite young. Which, interestingly enough, he died of an epileptic seizure. Aww. Mm-hmm. Another fact is Streisand has personally raised $25 million for organizations through her live performances. The Streisand Foundation, established in 1986, has contributed over $16 million through nearly 1,000 grants to national organizations working on preservation of the environment, voter education, the protection of civil liberties and civil rights, and women's issues, and nuclear disarmament. Which is really interesting with this episode and how all the monsters are about nuclear warfare. Mm -hmm. So there you go. She's, if anything, trying to take down the monsters from the inside. (laughs) In 2006, Streisand donated $1 million to the William J. Clinton Foundation in support of former President Bill Clinton's climate change initiative. In 2009, Barbara Streisand gifted $5 million to endow the Barbara Streisand Women's Cardiovascular Research and Education Program at Cedar Cien Medical Center, Women's Heart Center. They just couldn't pick one name. It's, it's like it's every a mouthful. Dictionary. <laughs> yeah. In September that year, Parade Magazine included Streisand on the Giving Back Fund's second annual Giving Back 30 survey. Quote, a ranking of the celebrities who have made the largest donations to charity in 2007, according to the public records, unquote, in which Streisand was the third most generous celebrity. 
Giving Back claims Streisand donated $11 million, which the Streisand Foundation distributed. In 2012, she raised $22 million to support her Women's Cardiovascular Center, bringing her own personal contributions to $10 million. The program was officially named Barbara Streisand's Women's Heart Center. Thank you. That's so much better. So much better. That's of a mouthful. <laughs> At a Julien's auction in October of 2009, Streisand, a longtime collector of art and furniture, sold 526 items with all the proceeds going to her foundation. Items included costumes from Funny Lady and a vintage dental cabinet she purchased when she was only 18 years old. The sale's most valuable items, however, was a painting done by Keyes Van Dongen. I don't know anything about art, but I'm sure it was valuable if it was owned by Miss Streisand. <laughs> In December 2011, she appeared at a fundraising gala for Israeli Defense Force charities. And finally, hitting a little bit closer to home in the current times, in June 2020, she gifted George Floyd's daughter, Gina Floyd, some of her Disney shares. So even in the current times, she's pulling through and doing some pretty incredible things. So if you want to learn more about Kaiju films, there are tons out there to watch. But the one thing we wanted to bring up is about whitewashing in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So obviously, kaiju films originated in Japan. And we're not even saying the proper titles of these films correctly, right? So what we want you to do is enjoy the genre, but also take it with a grain of salt as to where it came from and the fact that it was a way for the Japanese culture and the Japanese people to heal from the incredible traumas that happened to them during Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So simply keep these things in mind when you go to watch Godzilla vs. King Kong. I'm not saying don't go watch it. Just keep in mind what Hollywood has turned it into over the years and the authenticity of where it came from. Yeah, I like that. That was actually really good. Yeah. Okay, guys, it's that part of the episode where we talk about our favorite part of the episode. We probably already know what your favorite part is, but this was a really interesting episode for Kenny's. It was. Like, all of the ways that Kenny could have possibly died this episode, like all the monsters, Mega Streisand, like everything. And he gets killed on a tether pole ball? Like, ah. Disappointing, guys. Disappointing. I wanted to see my man get squished under Mega Streisand's foot. But, hey, I mean, I'll let you have this one. Tetherball is kind of a very interesting game. Apparently a very deadly game. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Sophie, what was your favorite part? So, you've seen Incredibles, right? Oh, don't insult me like that. (laughs) In The Incredibles, right at the beginning, they are interviewing all the characters And when they're interviewing Mr. Incredible, he says, I feel like the maid. Like, I just cleaned up and now it's a mess again. So my favorite part of this episode is there's a reporter. He's standing in front of some shops in South Park. And he's like, you know, we had the mutants. So that's a throwback to genetic engineering. That was a throwback to that episode. Zombies, obviously a throwback to the pink eye episode. And turkeys which was a throwback to Starving Marvin. So he's saying, you know, after we had the genetic engineered mutants, the zombies, the turkeys, South Park's been able to repair itself. And as soon as he says that, Mega Streisand destroys everything behind him. And it's just his frustration, because I feel like I'd be like the same. Like, I'd just be like, okay, okay, 
cool, 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 cool. Okay, perfect. <laughs> we'll just rebuild it, I guess. Not like I had other plans today. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed today's episode. We will be putting out episodes weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Two Female Prime Ministers. Reach out to us and let us know what you liked, how we can improve, and share us with your friends. If you really liked us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts so other people can find us. We hope after listening to our show today you thought, you know, I learned something today. Bye! Bye.